Well, good morning. Hey, if you're new with us, uh, you picked the perfect Sunday to come and check us out because we kick off a new uh, sermon series, as you just heard about, called Love Big that uh, we're going to be talking about throughout the rest of this month and really kind of uh, thematically all throughout uh, 2020. Crazy to think about, hear that out loud, 2020. Uh, But our theme is Love Big because, well, love is kind of a big deal. Uh, And the way that Jesus talked about love was really, really big. One day, Jesus was asked by somebody, uh, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? That, in, in other words, what's, what's the one thing that I need to do? What's, what's the one thing I need to make sure that I get right? What's the one thing that I need to follow? What's the one thing that I need to kind of live my life by? Jesus said, well, you already kind of know what it is. It's love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength. And he added this to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he went on and he said, you know, the entire Old Testament, that every, everything, all the laws, all, all, everything that the prophets had ever said, the entire Old Testament hangs on these two ideas, love God and love others. And not just the Old Testament, but as you read through the New Testament in the Bible, you see that everything kind of points back and boils down to that one thing. Love God and love your neighbor. And everything in the Bible is just commentary on, illustrations of application for loving God and loving your neighbor. Love. It sounds so simple. It seems like Jesus gave us kind of like a Woodstock version of Christianity. Just love, 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 free love, love God, love others, love, love, love. It seems so nice, so simple, but this is what we're going to talk about. But when something is, is so simple, maybe seemingly too simple, we feel like we need, we need some clarification. It can't be just that easy. So, so help clarify it for me. And thus, we end up complicating things a little bit. And for the sake of clarity, we end up setting up rules and regulations and rituals. But Jesus said, just keep it simple. Love God, love neighbor. Well, what about... What about, what about my coworker that, that talks badly about me, Jesus? Well, what, about, what, about, what about my literal neighbor that's just a jerk and they keep leaving their trash cans out all the time? Christmas lights up. Ugh. But Jesus, what about, what, about, what about if it wasn't really my fault? Well, what about, what about, what about this, Jesus? What, 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 what if? And Jesus always answered all those whatabouts with, well, What about it? What about it? Did I stutter? It's clear. Love. Love them. That's what it's all about. And that's so much more simple than all the various scenarios, than all the various what ifs and what abouts. It's far more simple, but it's also far more demanding because love, true love, has no loopholes. There's no workarounds, there's no shortcuts, there's, there's no place to hide when love is your primary motivation. You see, Jesus didn't look for a loophole in loving you or in loving me. 
He didn't, he didn't make sure that we signed up for the terms and conditions before he paid for your life with his own life by hanging on a cross for you and me. He just loved. And he knew what love was required of him. He knew what it demanded, his own life. Romans 5 says this, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this way, demonstrates his love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love is so simple, but man, it's also so demanding. And so one day, on one occasion, meaning that there were multiple occasions, but on one occasion, it says this in Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law, an attorney, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is a fine question, but Jesus knows that that's not the real question. Jesus knows that there's a question behind the question, that he's there to test him, and he's going to find out what the question behind the question is. So Jesus asked him a question, what is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And then the attorney gave the answer that everybody would have expected. It's a passage of scripture that every Jewish girl and boy would have to memorize growing up from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The lawyer had memorized it. Jesus had memorized it. We've said it before. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now here's, here's the fascinating part about the lawyer's response because he doesn't just give the answer that anyone would expect from any Jewish person. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, with, with everything. Instead, he goes above and beyond just that traditional great commandment answer. And he answers the question just as the same way that Jesus does. Love God with everything, with, with all you got, all your heart, soul, mind, strength, all of it. And don't forget, love your neighbor as yourself. And when Jesus added that little tag on the end of traditionally the great commandment, faith went from being something that was primarily just a vertical orientation, love between us and God and God and us. When Jesus said, but don't forget, this is just as important. You gotta love your neighbor as yourself. It went from just being a vertical orientation now to also being a horizontal. You have to love the yous that are around you. Then in other words, in other words, if you think that there is something that you can do to remove your obligation that you have to love your neighbor, then you've missed Jesus' whole point. If you think that, that showing up in church removes the obligation that you have to loving your neighbor, then you've missed the point. If you think that showing up in church and doing religious things removes the obligation that you have to feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and standing up for the oppressed, then, then you've missed it. If you think that reading your Bible removes the obligation that you have not to gossip about your neighbor, then you're reading the Bible the wrong way. 
If you think that saying the Lord's Prayer or five Hail Marys or whatever it is, any other ritual removes that obligation that you have to seek forgiveness and reconciliation between another person, then you've missed it. That all that stuff, all that churchy stuff, it's, it's all good, but it's really simply just a vehicle to get us to love those around us. So hang with me here because this is where it gets really interesting or perhaps really nerdy, but bear with me. That second part, love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's something that was actually added to the traditional great commandment that Jesus, uh, that Jesus talks about. And it comes from a different part of the Jewish scriptures. That whole love your neighbor as yourself part actually comes from Leviticus chapter 19. Now, Leviticus chapter 19 is really just a chapter that's a bunch of rules. It's a list of rules to help clarify those 10 commandments that God gave Moses up on Mount Sinai. So Leviticus 19 is, here's to help clarify what I meant when I said all of this stuff. And so it has things like, don't defraud or rob your neighbor, okay? Don't hold back wages from a hired worker overnight. Don't do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. And then in verse 18, it says this. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I in the Lord. And so a neighbor meant your geographical Jewish neighbor, your people. Don't bear a grudge against anyone among your people. You take care of your own. And to love your neighbor was simply to love yourself because they are your people. Now, here's why this is important. Let's jump back to the conversation between Jesus and the attorney in Luke chapter 16. The attorney had just answered Jesus correctly. He parrots back to Jesus, Jesus' original answer, love God and love neighbor. And then Jesus says this in verse 28. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Good job. Good job. You not only got the vertical part down, you know, love God, but you also got the horizontal, love those around you, love your neighbor. And just when Jesus is about to walk away, the attorney goes, hey, 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 hold on. I just want to clarify something about that, Jesus. And here comes the question behind the question. It says, but he, the attorney, wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, hey, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I mean, this guy is an expert in the law. He knows it backwards and forwards. So he's not asking Jesus a real serious question here. I mean, he knows who his neighbor is. He knows what Leviticus chapter 19 says. He knows that his neighbor is his own people according to the laws. He's really asking Jesus here. He's really asking Jesus, what's, what's the minimum obligation what do, what do I have to do to just be all right with God? I mean, who exactly are my people? That he's trying to find a loophole. 
I mean, you've experienced this before, that, that whenever someone's really concerned about clarifying something, it's often that they're looking for a loophole. I mean, this is the guy who actually reads the terms and uh, conditions before he signs off on it. Says, who, who exactly is my neighbor? Who, who, are, who are my people? I know who my people are, Jesus, but who do you think that my people are? And so Jesus goes on. And he tells them a parable, and you've heard this one before. It says, in reply, Jesus said, there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, Jesus. Hey, we asked you a simple question. Who? And here you go, telling the story again, and you're going to make the bad guy the hero of the day, and we're all going to feel bad about ourselves. We, we just want clarity, Jesus. We just asked you who is my neighbor? You know how the story goes. Man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He gets mugged. They strip him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And so a priest happened to be walking down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, who's kind of like an assistant priest thing. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side as well. So the two religious people, they don't do diddly squat. They don't lift a finger. They might be religious, but, and say that they love the Lord, their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, but it's just giving lip service. Their words are empty and in vain because clearly they don't love their neighbor as themselves. With Jesus's new commandment in order, you have to love your neighbor, if you are to love God. So Jesus goes on with the story. Verse 33 says, but a Samaritan, and then everybody probably just chuckled a little bit because they're thinking, there's no way some Samaritan's gonna help this Jewish guy out in a ditch. And we all know that Samaritans fight like cats and dogs. I never understood that. I haven't seen cats and dogs fight. But anyways, What you have to understand is that, is that the relationship between Jews and Samaritans at this time was, was like institutionalized racism. It's like apartheid or, or Jim Crow. The, the boundaries were clear and the boundaries were firm and set. Jews and Samaritans didn't worship in the same places. Jews and Samaritans did not eat in the same places. Jews and Samaritans did not intermarry. They had nothing to do with each other. The boundaries and the lines were clear in the sand. But Jesus begins to turn the tables and he says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him, something that the other two religious people didn't do. And then he, Jesus begins to twist the knife a little bit. So the Samaritan goes above and beyond. He says, the Samaritan went to him and put bandages on his wounds, meaning that he touched a Jewish person, pouring oil and wine on the wounds. That means that was pretty expensive. Then he put the man on his own donkey, meaning that the Samaritan walked and the Jewish person rode, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, meaning that the Samaritan stayed the night with the Jewish person, the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And then Jesus asks a question that forces us to to examine our own hearts. A a question that, that forces us to question ourselves. Do I still have some racism 
in my own heart? Do, do, I, do I still have some, some contempt, some, some judgment towards certain people? You see, Jesus makes the guy answer his own question. In verse 36, he does it just so innocently. He says, okay, so which of these three do you think? You're a lawyer. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Even though the answer is obvious, everybody knows what the answer is. Jesus makes the attorney say it out loud for everyone to hear. Because once you say it out loud, then you are bound to that responsibility. You're now accountable to that answer. Parents do this with their kids all the time. We know what the answer is. We know that they're guilty, but we force them to actually uh, uh, own up to it so that they can be accountable to it. And so, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber, or another way that we could ask this. Which of these three loved the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength? Mm. Which of these three loved God by loving a stranger? And then the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. <clears throat> mm. The one who had mercy on him, Jesus. Yes, great, mm, good. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and be the Samaritan. Ooh, ah, that stings. Go and be the hero. Be the Samaritan. That if you can meet a need, then meet it. If you can pay the price, then pay it. And, and don't, don't try to talk yourself out of it. Don't try to justify yourself when you change your mind and you walk away when you could meet that need. It's simple. Just do it. Love. Now, Jesus could have answered the attorney's question with, with a list of people from all different places, when the attorney asked, who is my neighbor, Jesus could have said, look, your neighbor is the Samaritans, it's the Canaanites, it's the Hivites, it's the Jebusites, it's the Romans, it's the Greeks, it's the Europeans, it's the Egyptians, and the list goes on and on and on. But Jesus' whole point, Jesus' whole point in all of this is to get us to answer the question, what does love require of me? What does love really require? And you see, that question leaves no place for us to hide. That question leaves no loopholes for us to try to get through. Because love, true love, requires everything that we have. Love has no loopholes. Love has no shortcuts. Love offers us no place to hide. There's no legalities or technicalities. Love requires whatever it is that we have. To the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, everything. Sell all that you have and give all of your possessions to the poor. When someone asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, what, what should I do? How should I, how should I live my life in, in this just really hard culture and climate? Jesus said, somebody asks you to walk one mile, go two with them. If somebody asks you for a coat, give them a coat and give them everything else that you have. If you see somebody who's hungry, feed them. If you see somebody who's thirsty, 
Give them something to drink. If you see somebody who needs some clothes, give it to them. If you see a need, then meet it. And when you do that, when you do that, you show love not only to them, but you can't see this. You show love to me. That if you can meet a need, then need it. If you can pay for it, then pay for it. And don't try to talk yourself out of it. Don't try to find a loophole. But simply ask the question, what does love require of you? It requires everything. And it's not really love if you have to try to put qualifiers on it first. You're not really loving your neighbor if you first have to make sure that they check all of the boxes. There's no shortcuts, there's no loopholes, there's no terms and conditions, there's, there's no hiding when love is the ultimate command. As Paul says in Galatians 5, he says, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing, showing, demonstrating itself through love. That's what all of this, all comes down to. So it's fitting that today is actually World Communion Sunday. It's a day where Christians literally all around the world of all different denominations and traditions, uh, we come together and we celebrate Jesus' great sacrifice of love. And part of that is that um, we come and we confess that yes, we have not loved God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and we haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. We haven't loved our literal next door neighbors. We haven't loved our downtown neighbors. We haven't loved our black neighbors, our white neighbors, our Haitian neighbors, our Micronesian neighbors, our Latino or Latina neighbors. We haven't loved our gay neighbors or our straight neighbors. We haven't loved our staunch Republican neighbors and we haven't loved our bleeding heart liberal neighbors. We've all fallen short in so many ways. That's true. And we haven't loved God in the way that we ought to. And so we know, we know the answer to the question, what does love require of me? We, we know that. We know what it demands. The hard part is actually doing it. And so Jesus gave us the example. He said, on an the night before he went to the cross and he was sharing a meal with his friends, he said, you know, I've talked a lot about love and this is what I mean by it. He took bread and he gave thanks to you, O God, and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup and he gave thanks to you, O God, and he blessed it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so God, we come with our hearts open to your spirit today. Lord, we know that we have fallen short of what love requires of us. We know that we haven't loved you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. God, we know that we haven't loved our neighbors. We haven't loved ourselves at times. 
And so, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be poured out on us, and you would speak a word of forgiveness and grace to us, that you would open up our hearts and cleanse them. But God, also, that you would begin to grow them. Expand our love for those who are on the margins, God, and help us to reach out and show love to the world. We ask that your spirit would be poured out on these gifts of bread and the cup, that they would be for us the body and blood of Jesus, so that we might be for the world the body of Christ, broken and poured out for the whole world. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.